0: Hi, I'm Dan Primack, and welcome to Axios Recap, presented by Facebook. Today is Friday, August 28th. Tech stocks are up, rolling averages for new COVID cases and COVID deaths are down, and we're focused on the Fox News cycle. Both political conventions are now over, and the ratings are in, at least mostly. What we've learned is that the first three nights of the Democratic National Convention got better ratings than did the first three nights of the Republican National Convention. Final numbers for the final RNC night when Trump gave his acceptance speech won't come out until after we tape, but preliminary ratings called overnights suggest that the trend line will hold. But not all was lost for Trump fans. Fox News Channel dominated. Its Tuesday RNC audience was the largest any network has ever recorded for night two of an RNC. On Wednesday night, it averaged 7.1 million views at 10 p.m., while no other network even hit 2 million, not even the broadcast channels available in many more homes than is Fox. Now, this probably shouldn't be surprising, because finding the dividing line between Fox News and Donald Trump has become almost impossible. Just look at the number of Fox Newsers who've been hired to work in the White House or Trump's Twitter feed, which sometimes looks like a Fox News clips gallery or how often the two are the key cogs in a misinformation cycle, with Trump saying something false that gets amplified by Fox or vice versa. Why it matters is that Fox News hosts, elected by nothing more than Nielsen ratings, have the ability now to influence national policy. It's unprecedented in American history. And the subject of a buzzy new book by Brian Stelter, chief media correspondent at Fox rival CNN. We'll talk to Brian in 15 seconds. But first, this. We're joined now by Brian Stelter, CNN's chief media correspondent and author of the new book, Hoax, Donald Trump, Fox News and the Dangerous Distortion of Truth. Brian, the idea that President Trump and Fox have a symbiotic relationship obviously isn't breaking news for most Americans. So what is the most important thing you think readers learn from your book?
1: I think the situation is even worse than people realize. And when I say worse, I mean, Trump is even more dependent on Fox than people realize. He's even more addicted to the programming than people realize. And because of that, he gets misinformed. He gets misinformation that he then spreads to the rest of the country. I think the evidence of that in the book is overwhelming. I think the other reason why this story matters, why hoax matters, is because during this pandemic, the commentary on Fox has had life and death consequences. I had many staffers inside the network spill their guts to me saying this content, this coverage, the downplaying of the pandemic last winter was hazardous to the viewer's health. I think it's important that their voices be heard.
0: The book's been out nearly a week now. What have you heard kind of back-channeled from Fox's executive suite?
1: I've not heard uh, any significant denials from anybody at Fox about anything in the book what I have heard are staffers who trusted me confidentially to speak with me, that they are pleased that their stories are getting out. These are journalists who feel suffocated and squeezed by pro-Trump propaganda at the channel.
0: You talk about how this thing kind of prints money, you know, $2 billion or so in profits a year. You know, there've been a lot of stories, I think you've written some, particularly over the past year, for example, Tucker Carlson's show at 8 p.m., how they've lost a lot of big name brand sponsors. Has that made a dent, a business dent in the company?
1: If it has made a dent, it has not been measurable. I think deep down inside, Fox advertising salespeople would probably rather have a star at 8 PM who is more palatable to advertisers because they'd probably be able to charge even more for the ads in his hour. That said, Lachlan Murdoch and Tucker have an alliance. They agree that talent should not be hounded off the airwaves by boycotts. They describe this as economic harassment, and they say they can't stand for it. So Fox stands by Carlson. Carlson draws millions of viewers. And you know who props him up? My pillow. Mike Lindell is the biggest sponsor of Tucker's show by far. And in some ways, My Pillow has come in and filled the gaps when other advertisers have left.
0: If you had to say that the one person at Fox who is most calling the shots, is it Sean Hannity? Is it Lachlan? Is it Rupert Murdoch?
1: There is no clear, strong leader at Fox News who is trying to manage the talent. So as a result, all the stars are in their own fiefdoms. Tucker Carlson does whatever he wants, Sean Hannity does whatever he wants. And the Murdochs are seemingly content with this because it is so profitable. There are very few occasions where there's real accountability for what is said on the air when there's something outrageous or offensive. I would say uh, Hannity because he has the highest ratings. He's the biggest star. He's most in command. But Carlson is sometimes beating Hannity now. It's created tension between the two men. Tucker is very much on the rise and people are even talking about him as a 2024 presidential candidate.
0: Brian, you talk a lot in your book about the relationship between Sean Hannity and Donald Trump. Hannity has always been a Republican supporter, no matter almost who that Republican is. What does Hannity truly think of Trump?
1: He has told friends and colleagues at Fox that he thinks Trump is sometimes bat bleep crazy. Am I allowed to curse on this, podcast? I think you can. Well, the quote is obviously batshit crazy. Others at Fox described a similar view from Hannity. He would describe the president as a run on sentence. Hard to get a word in when the president's rambling. You know, this is in line with what we've seen from the president and his rallies and in his phone interviews with Hannity. But on the air, as you said, Hannity is absolutely the number one supporter of the GOP cause. And I think he is so committed to those principles and to his business model that he doesn't say what he really thinks about Trump. He only shares it in private with his friends. And this is not just true for Hannity. It's also true for executives at Fox, for anchors at Fox who feel they can't really express what's going on. They can't fully fact check the lies because the network is state supported TV. Let me ask about that.
0: And you kind of touch on this at certain spots in the book. But, you know, you spoke to over 100 current Fox staffers, a lot of former Fox staffers, too, but lots of current Fox staffers. For the ones who say they are very uncomfortable with this dynamic, is simple as they stay for the money?
1: Well, there certainly are true believers there. I want to say that very clearly. There are Trump true believers there who are trying to support the MAGA agenda. But there's a lot of journalists who feel squeezed and left out. They feel like they can't get on the air to tell the truth. They feel like they can't stand up to the lies and the the rhetoric coming from the White House. And they stay largely because of money, also because of lack of other options, also because of a sense of family at Fox, you know, us against the world. It can be pretty intoxicating to feel like you're part of something special that has such influence with the White House. But at night, you know, or over the weekend or the next day, sometimes I hear regrets. I hear frustration about the situation that Fox is in. And many journalists have left. I think that's one of the most revealing parts of the book. I have stories of journalists and commentators who decided to leave Fox because they couldn't take it anymore. Obviously, Shep Smith is an example. Everyone knows he left. But also other journalists you might not have heard about who decided to leave because they didn't want to defend the family separations policy, or they didn't want to defend Charlottesville. It's those sorts of things that add up to a story about Fox kind of fighting over what its future is. Like, what is the soul of Fox News?
0: Who do you think will be the next name Fox News talent to leave?
1: I don't see anybody leaving immediately because Suzanne Scott, the head of the network, has re-signed most of her stars to multi-year contracts. There's always speculation about Hannity going off and working with Trump on Trump TV in the future. I actually think that at this point, Fox is bigger than Trump. And if there is a rival network launched by the Trump family in the event that he doesn't win re-election, I think Fox would do just fine in that dynamic. As one person there said to me, we are a monopoly. We are benefiting from our monopoly status. There's nobody that's been able to successfully challenge Fox. But, you know, there's always that potential of a talent exodus when their contracts are up. People could try to leave and start something new, but I I think it's a far-fetched idea right now.
0: When Roger Ailes was finally kicked to the curb at Fox, a lot of folks on the other side of the aisle, liberals, et cetera, leaving the sexual harassment piece out of it, kind of celebrated that Roger Ailes was out and thought maybe it was a new day at Fox. I get the sense from reading your book that you think that if Ailes had stuck around for the Trump presidency, Fox today might look a little different on air.
1: Yes, I think he would have done more to stand up to Trump. For example, taking away airtime if the president was out there calling Fox fake news. Because that's the thing, right? Trump even criticizes Fox. He goes after the news anchors there. He uh, humiliates them. He insults them on Twitter. He causes lots of hate mail and attacks to be sent their way because he doesn't want news. He wants propaganda. And so I think Ailes would have stood up to Trump on those occasions. And many staffers of the network actually miss him even though he abused his staff, even though he had all of these uh, sins on his record, they say at least he was a strong leader. At least we know who was in charge. In many ways, Hoax is a book about leadership, about lack of leadership, but also about the potential for leadership. It doesn't have to be this way. You know, Fox doesn't have to be this way. Maybe someday in the future, the other Murdoch children are going to try to take over the network, take over the company and thus the network. That's kind of the cliffhanger of Hoax.
0: Brian, final question for you. In researching the book, what is the one most interesting or surprising thing you learned about Tucker Carlson?
1: (laughs) Tucker Carlson makes $10 million a year. That's an even higher salary than been reported. And he has this private island in Maine. I'm not going to say where, because he's very sensitive about this, but he has this island. He takes a boat from the island to the mainland to anchor his show on the days when he is in Maine. And uh, I guess instead of a wall, he has a moat.
0: Brian Stelter of CNN, also author of Hoax, Donald Trump, Fox News and the Dangerous Distortion of Truth. I appreciate you coming on. Thanks very much. Welcome back. What we're watching today are U.S. tech stocks, not just because they're up again, but because the publicly traded U.S. tech sector is now more valuable than the entire European stock market, according to a research analysis by Bank of America. Part of this is a reflection of how the Fed's pandemic-era policy has contributed to a stock market boom, and part is that Europe has failed to keep up when it comes to creating large new tech companies. But it's also a reflection of how a small number of U.S. tech players are becoming so big that they even may be too big to fail. Of the U.S. tech sector's $9.1 trillion in value, around 80% of it is held by just five companies. We're also watching the NBA or at least will be tomorrow, as the league and its players' union agreed to resume the season on Saturday. As part of the agreement, more teams will open up their arenas for voting on November 3rd, an initiative we focused yesterday's podcast on with WNBA player Renee Montgomery. And finally, some folks will be watching Tenet this weekend. It's the only summer blockbuster being released, but it's only being released in movie theaters, which a lot of folks believe to be air-conditioned popcorn-serving Petri dishes. Tenet is getting good reviews, but just to give some movie industry context, number four at the box office last weekend was *The Goonies*. Yeah, that *Goonies*, and it took in only two hundred and sixty thousand dollars. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. It's my producer Tim Shovers. Have a great National Red Wine Day, and we'll be back Monday with another Axios recap.